week is our big Easter service, is our big Easter Sunday, the, like Kel said, the Super Bowl of Sundays. But this week we have a celebration too. We're celebrating Palm Sunday this week. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. It represents when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, into the city. You know, the people were there. They put palm branches down. They were yelling. They were excited. Him, he was coming in. And uh, we're celebrating that today, not because he, just because he went into Jerusalem, people were excited about it, but he went into Jerusalem because he was going in there to make redemption and to pay for the sins of all of you and me. Amen. So we're celebrating that because we know that, you know, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He went to the cross. He went in Jerusalem knowing they were going to turn their backs on him, knowing they were going to be uh, yelling at him and, and setting him up to be crucified less than a week later. But he went in with joy because he knew that he was going in to be our champion. And you know that song we sang, Unstoppable God. Man, I can't, think of, I can't help but think about Easter when I think about Unstoppable God because he went in and they, they killed him. They put him in a tomb, but they didn't stop him, did they? He was there for three days, but three days later, the Bible is very clear that the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of that tomb more alive than ever. And he lives today interceding for you and me. He's at the right hand of the Father. And we have, we have him to thank for the fact that we had our sins paid for, that we can know him, that the blood of Christ has won all of our battles for us. And so I'm thankful for that today. So we're excited to celebrate this Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be making some reference to that a little later in my message. But my, my actual sermon today is called Living with Conviction. How many of you know Jesus had to live with conviction to be able to go into a place where he knew they were going to crucify him? I'm glad he had conviction. Well, he's our standard. He is our, he's the one that, uh, that we model our life after. And so when, if he lives with conviction, we know that we are called to live with conviction as well. We're called to live for him and stand for him. And uh, the, my first text verse of the morning that I want to read for you is out of Hebrews 11, one of the most popular verse, chapters in all the Bible. It's called the Hall of Faith. And uh, it starts very clearly in the first verse. I want to read it for you. This is out of the New American Standard Version. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Some versions say the evidence of things not seen. Um, but, but this version here actually says the conviction. Faith is about living with conviction. It's about living for something that you can't necessarily see with your human eyes. That's what faith is. And that's what God has called us to, each one of us, to live by faith. This word, uh, um, or there's a quote that, uh, that you probably heard that somebody coined years ago. It says, if you don't stand for something, you'll, you'll fall for anything. How true is that? The more you live, the more you see. If you don't have a standard that you live your life by, if you don't have conviction in life, that you will fall for anything. You'll be like that wave of the sea that James talks about in his, in his book, uh, that, that is tossed by the sea and thrown by the wind and just goes whatever way the wind blows, that's where you go. And that's, that's how we are if we don't stand for something. But God has called us to stand for something. Uh, conviction is actually what gets you going in the morning. It's what gets you out of bed, gets you going, and gets you through your day. No, it is not a cup of coffee. That would be a good brand name for coffee, though, conviction. It gets you going. Ooh, I just made that up. That'd be good. But it's what gets us going in the morning. It's what, it's what causes us to get out of bed to, to, uh, to go through another day. Um, the definition of conviction is a firmly held belief. Conviction is not a, a, a lackadaisical word. It's a strong word. Conviction is something that I believe this. I'm going to stand on this. We are called to live with conviction in our life. And I would ask you today, what are your convictions? It's a simple question. Just want you to think about it. And I know the tendency, since you're here on Master Sunday, 
when you know a lot of other people are out of town or at the tournament or whatever they're doing today on vacation you're here so it's easy to think well you know i'm here at church on a sunday that a lot of people don't go to church so obviously my conviction is based on faith in god well before you get your chest all puffed out and and feel real proud of yourself which we're glad you're here today don't get me wrong if you guys weren't here today i would look really awkward standing on this stage talking to a bunch of empty chairs we're glad you're here but we need to take inventory of our life to see what our convictions really are because you know our words that we speak when when we want to talk about conviction aren't necessarily the same as they are what, what our life displays because you know your life will display what your true convictions really are your checking account will display what your convictions really are you look on your online banking you see those line items of where your money's going It'll tell you what your convictions are. You could say you, you live, your conviction is faith in God and it's based on this word, but if your checking account, if all your money's being spent on things for yourself, then, then you might have to relook at it. Because if you live your life based on the convictions of faith, well, the, the Bible tells us that everything's Jesus's. It's all God's. And so the money we have is all his. And so if we're really living our life based on our faith in him, then we're living generously. We're giving back to him. We're giving to others. We're doing things other than just spending our money on ourselves. So our checking account will absolutely reflect our conviction. The words we speak will, will reflect our conviction. Not on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, it's easy to talk with faith and, have, and say nice things and have good words. But the words we speak on Tuesday morning and Friday morning and Wednesday morning and Monday morning, those words really reflect our real conviction. Because if our conviction is based on faith in God, then we're not going to be complaining all the time about our job or about our spouse or about our circumstances, are we? We're not going to be gossiping about other people. We're not going to be tearing people down. We're not going to be trying to make other people feel bad so we feel better about ourselves. Um, let's see, we're not going to, we're not going to cuss. You know, if we're cussing, we're not going to cuss in church. Nobody does that. Nobody has the, go the gall to do that. But are you cussing on Monday morning when you're at work? You know, the words that come out of our mouth to display the true convictions that we have in our life because our, the words that come out of our mouth are meant to edify they're meant to glorify god and to edify others so the the words you speak will reflect what your really what your true convictions are the movies we watch the shows we watch the music we listen to those things reflect our true convictions what do you watch on tv and what movies do you go to where you 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 make excuses as to why ah, it's okay to see this it's not that bad well, how would you feel if Jesus was sitting right next to you, you know? But the, the things, those things display what our true convictions are. Our morals about, about sex display what our true convictions are. It's easy to talk, say the right things in church, but again, what are you doing on Friday nights and Saturday nights? Are you, are you living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Are you sleeping around? Are you sleeping with, with, with people in your life? And even though you know that it's contrary to the word of God, to say that your conviction is based on your faith in God, but, to, but your actions don't back it up. If, if that's the case, then we have to take inventory. We have to look and see, well, what are my true convictions? And I'm not here to condemn anybody or to beat you up. I'm just saying it's easy to say on Sunday morning that my faith is based on this or my convictions are based on this. But our, our life during the week, the Monday through Saturday, really reflects what our convictions are. I know for me, I pray that my life, the biggest prayer in my life is that my life would display the conviction of the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. That my life would be a living example of what God can do in someone's life. Because I'm no better than anybody else. 
but I do know that I, I know my Jesus and I know he loves me and I know I've received the work that he's done for me and I, I try to live my life to glorify him. And that's my prayer all the time is that my life would just glorify Jesus. And when people look at me, they'd say, that man is a man of conviction. He believes what he says. He believes what's in this Bible. Whether or not you believe it or not, people would look at me and say, yes, I know he believes it. That's my prayer. And I hope that's your prayer too, because that's God's desire for each and every one of us, that our life would display that the banner over us would be the one of love for our, for our Savior. So what, are your, what is your conviction today? Because I know we're, in a, we're getting into Easter, and I know at Easter time, man, I know for me, my, my conviction about who Jesus is and what he's done for me is always strengthened and elevated. It just, there's something about the Easter season that just, when I think about what Jesus did, when he strolled into Jerusalem knowing he was about to die, but he did it because he loves me that much, and he loves you that much. It's just exemplified during this season of our life, during the, during the Easter season. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, but there's something special about it during Easter. It really makes you want to stand up and take notice. Yes, Jesus really did do that for me. This week is often called Passion Week, and it's because it was the passion of the Christ to go into Jerusalem to pay for our sins. But you know, passion is just another word for conviction. I heard somebody define passion one time. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of passion is that it's something that you're willing to suffer for. Whatever you're passionate about, you're willing to suffer for it. In fact, it's pretty much a guarantee that you will suffer for the things that you're passionate about. I'll even take it a step further to say that whatever you're truly passionate about, there has to be sacrifice and some suffering to some degree with it. Other things have to sacrifice based on what you're passionate about. And if you're not, if what you say you're passionate about, if, it does not, if it's not costing you anything, then you need to look at it again. Because there's nothing that we're passionate about that we're not willing to suffer for or to sacrifice for. And I'll give you a couple examples. If people that are passionate about their health, they're willing to sacrifice things in their life. They're willing to push the, the, the Chick-fil-A fried chicken and the Zaxby's fried chicken aside. Now I know, you know, every once in a while you have to bring it on in, it's, it's worth it. But for the most part, they'll push that fried food away or the sugar, the desserts after every meal. They'll push those things away. They'll get up at early in the morning to go exercise. They'll sacrifice sleep so they can make sure they grow out their exercise and taking care of their body. People that are passionate about it, you know who they are. You see them. They're passionate. They're, they have to have sacrifices in other areas of their life because of what they're passionate about. There's just no way around it. People who are passionate about making a lot of money. They'll work 80 hours a week. They'll, they'll sacrifice all kinds of things. They'll sacrifice time with family. They'll sacrifice leisure time. They'll sacrifice vacation time because they always want to be there. They want to be Johnny on the spot when the boss asks for somebody to do some overtime. Boom, I'll take it because they want to be the one that's noticed when it comes time for a promotion or they just want the overtime because they want to more, make more money. They're willing to sacrifice other things to make that money because they're passionate about making money and getting ahead and getting their bills paid and getting some money in the bank and some savings and some retirement. They're willing to make some sacrifices to do that because they're passionate about it. And, those that are, and if you're passionate about Jesus, there's gonna be sacrifices that have to be made. Jesus is very clear. He, Jesus goes as far as to say that if you're gonna love me, you have to lay down your own life, pick up your cross and follow me. Now that's sacrifice. That's the, that's the greatest form of sacrifice. The cross is a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of death. You have to die to yourself if you're really passionate about Jesus. You can't say I'm passionate about Jesus, but then you're doing your own thing all the time, but you come to church on Sunday. Then you're not passionate. You may, you may want to be a Christian and you may want to, uh, to have a relationship with him, but to say you're passionate about it, you have a strong conviction about it, 
you really have to take inventory of your life to see if that's really where you're spending your time and your energy. Because if you're not, then you may have to adjust a few things. Another way of saying it is that conviction is the thing that fuels you. We talk about fuel. You know, you think of a vehicle and how it has to have fuel to go. We're the same way. We have th things that fuel us, that, that, that get us going, that cause us to do the things we do in life. We all have it. We all do it. I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this, and I thought about a story um, from a, a number of years back. Uh, back in 2011, uh, Joy and I, we bought a brand new Honda Odyssey, and it was so nice. We were so, so happy to have it. I was so glad that she'd be able to drive something really nice like that with our kids. Our kids were much younger then, and um, was just really, really glad to have this nice vehicle. We bought, you know, had some of the bells and whistles too, so it kind of went out a little bit and, and got something really nice. And probably hadn't had it even a year and a half maybe. And one day she calls me and she said, um, I'm broke down on the side of the road. The, the van is dead. And I'm thinking, well, this thing's only, you know, a year and a half, two years old. These things don't usually break down until right after you pay them off, right? And I said, well, what happened? She said, I don't know. It just died. Like, it just, it won't start. And, you know, I asked the obvious question that a husband would. I said, well, honey, is there any chance you ran out of gas? She said, no, that's the crazy thing. I just filled it up. I barely got out of the gas station and it died. Well, and for me, I know enough about cars to be a little dangerous. I used to work on my cars back in the day before they were all nothing but a big computer. And so it, this was my worst nightmare because the next thing that came to my mind was, uh, did you put diesel in that van? And she kind of stuttered a little bit and said, I, I don't think so. What's diesel? <laughs> and I said, well, what did it do when it died? She kind of explained what it did. I said, oh, man. I said, you filled that thing up with diesel. I said, well, don't worry about it, honey, because we're going to make the gas station pay for this because those pumps aren't supposed to be able to fit. The diesel pump can't fit in a car that takes gasoline. It won't fit in the hole there to fill it up. And I just, there's silence at the other end of the phone, and all of a sudden I hear her go, uh-oh. I said, what? What is it? She goes, well, the nozzle didn't fit. I just kind of had to hold it out by the edge and squirt in a little bit at a time. I said, my goodness, it must have taken you 40 minutes to fill that thing up. So um, needless to say, we had to call a tow truck and get a mechanic. And about five or $600 later, she was back on the road running the streets. But uh, that was a hard lesson for us to learn. Thankfully, there was no major damage done to it. But but that was just, it was, it was very, uh, it's a very clear example of how you have to have the right fuel to go in life. Now, the difference between a human and an automobile, an automobile has to have the right fuel or it'll die immediately. I mean, she barely got out of the gas station parking lot. A human, how many of you know, we can, we can survive on the wrong fuel for quite some time. If we're motivated, if our conviction is about making money or, or just being uh, secure and safe and comfortable, or if it's just about having fun and pleasure, we can live that way for a while. But I'm here to tell you today, if you're, if you're being fueled by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, eventually you will end up by the side of the road. You will be on the proverbial side of the road because we are not designed to be fueled by anything other than our faith in Jesus. He is the one that sustains us. He's the one, he's the, the springboard that everything in our life, all the decisions in our life are based off of because of our love for him. And for those of us that, that know that, and we still try to kind of do our own thing, but still kind of have one foot in the world, one foot in our faith in Jesus, you know after a while it just doesn't work. And, and we have to get to the end of our rope to where we finally say, okay, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. 
You know, I pray all the time for people in my family, people that I know and love that are, that are either riding the fence or away from God. I pray all the time, God, get them to the end of their rope. Because you know what? At the end of the rope, that's where Jesus is. As long as we're willing to do it in our own strength, he's going to let us. But when we get to that place where like, God, I just can't do it anymore. I, that's where I got. I got to that place in my life where I just, I threw my hands down and I said, I can't do this anymore. And I have felt the Holy Spirit say, finally, now I can work with you, son. That's what he wants for us. But it's important that we get to that place where we're determined that we're going to let him be our fuel. Because I know some of you might say, well, I can't help how I feel. You know, I see, I see people that have this great faith in God and, and everything they do is just based on their love of Jesus. And I want to be there. I'm just, I'm just not there. I just don't feel it. Well, I'm here to tell you today that conviction is not swayed by your feelings. You know, you can actually set your own convictions. You can, you can set your mind and your hearts on the thing of God based on what you know to be the truth. You know, because how many of you know your feelings will lie to you? We're not meant to be led by our feelings. We're not called to be. There's nowhere in the Bible to say, you know, just, just let your feelings lead you. They'll always lead you to the right place. How many of you know that's a lie? Your feelings will lead you to the wrong place almost every time. And when you're, when you're up in your feels, the last thing you should do is be making big decisions about your life. Because that's when you're going to make terrible mistakes. We're not called to live by our feelings. We can actually set our convictions in our life and, and, and uh, cause our feelings and our emotions to follow what we determine in our life. That's why that definition is a, of a conviction is a firmly held belief. You have to hold on to your beliefs because there's always things trying to pull those things away from you so you can just kind of live in the moment. But in reality, it's, it's about us holding on to what we know to be true. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 in verse 2. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he's saying here, you can set your own convictions. He didn't say, pray that the Lord would put your mind on the things of him. He says, do this, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on the earthly things. You have to be intentional, you have to be diligent, but you can set your own convictions. Do you, because to think that once I have this conviction, okay, I have this faith in Jesus, I'm gonna live for Jesus, and I, I have this moment where I'm just determined I'm gonna live for God and I'm excited about it and I'm gonna never look back. To think that the rest of your life is just gonna be a cakewalk and you're never gonna have any doubts is a pipe dream. There's nobody but nobody but nobody that lives on this earth that doesn't have moments go, whoo, God, I hope this is right. I hope what I'm doing is right. I hope this is the, I hope I'm walking the right path. I, I hope, I hope this thing's true. I believe it is, but we're, you're going to have those moments. There's moments that I'm reading my Bible and I'm reading it and it's like the words are jumping off the page and they're just feeding me so much that I could just devour it and just read it all day long. I'm actually bummed when I have to stop because I'm so excited about what the Lord's speaking to me through his word. There's other times I read it and I go, huh? What does that mean? I don't get it. That can't be right. There's moments I read it and I think, I don't get it. Or there's times I read it and I'll read two chapters and five seconds later, I forgot what I just read and I'm already off to do my, my thing. We've all been there. We all do it. It's not like this is just one big cakewalk where we, well, I set my convictions, so that's it. We have to hold firmly to our convictions. There's times we say, I don't care what I feel today. I don't care that I feel like doing whatever I want and, and living to please myself. I'm not going to do it because I have a conviction in, about the word of God and by faith. And I'm going to walk by it. I'm not going to allow that to lead me. I'm going to lead it. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He's saying, you can set your convictions, people. That's what Jesus is telling them. 
You can hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can choose to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. He says, blessed are you if you do it because you're going to be filled. Anybody here want to be filled by Jesus? I do. Amen. Conviction in our life is set by what we choose to see. Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we see. Now, this is not what we see with our eyes. This is talking about perspective. But our convictions in life are set by what we see, but what we see with our faith, but what our perspective is in life. How many of you know that two of you can watch, see the same thing, experience the exact same thing, and have two totally different experiences in that? I, there's, there's no better explanation of that than when Joy convinces me to watch a Hallmark movie in Christmas time. And I'm sitting down and I'm just like, I'm just feeling really nice and supportive. So I said, okay, whatever. And we're watching this movie and she's seeing this beautiful Christmassy, ooey gooey, up in my feels love story that's just so fun and pure and wholesome and just makes my heart pitter patter and she just loves it. And I look over at her and she's crying every 10 minutes because it's so touching. And, and the whole thing is all sweet and it's wrapped up in a nice little bow at the end as the credits roll. And she's like standing up cheering for it, you know? And I'm sitting over there watching the exact same thing and I am bored to tears. And I am laughing and doing everything in my power not to make fun of it. And usually I fail at that. I usually do make fun of it. And then she gets mad at me and it becomes this whole thing. But we're watching the exact same thing, but I'm seeing this very predictable, un unoriginal, like ridiculous story of how, you know, the, the, the girl likes the guy, looks like they're going to get together, something terrible happens, it's all falling apart, and then they get together at the end, the credits roll. Every single time. And I, I couldn't be more bored watching something like that. Or the opposite's true, too. If we're sitting on the couch and I'm scrolling through and oh, Rocky's on. I get to watch Rocky for the 48th time today. And I'm excited and I'm, I'm shadow boxing as I'm watching it, you know, and thinking I could take on the world. And, and she's looking at me going, you know how it ends. It's the same thing every time. And then I tell her, you don't know, maybe he'll lose this time. <laughs> we're watching the exact same thing, but we're having two very, very different experiences. Yeah. Right? Or with food. You know, when, when Taylor and I see sushi, we see a culinary piece of art that's wonderful for the palate and the stomach and the eyes. And just love to enjoy sushi. Joy and Noah see sushi. They see slimy fish that really should just be thrown to the dog. You know? <laughs> very same thing. The exact same thing. Two very, very different experiences. And so we set our convictions by what our perspective is. I think sushi is wonderful. Joy thinks it's disgusting. It's the exact same thing. It's based on what our conviction is about sushi. Now, in the, in the scheme of life, the conviction on sushi is completely irrelevant. But there's a spiritual application to this too, and I'm going to read it to you here. I'm going to read the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into the city for his last week before he got crucified. Okay, it's a lengthy passage, but I want to read the whole thing because I'm going to I'm going to explain a good bit of it. And you need to see it so I can explain it. But let me set it up just for a moment. So Jesus is getting ready for his last Passover meal, and he wants to he wants to get get the get the whole the setting ready. So they can have, he can have his last Passover. And so what he does is he sends two of his disciples out to help get this thing ready. And here's what it says, starting in Luke 19, verses 30 to 40. Jesus said, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. That's an easy answer, right? Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? 
They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now the gospel of John also says that they threw palm branches down, which is where we get the Palm Sunday. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All right, so this is Jesus coming into the city. Everybody saw the exact same thing, right? It was one, experience, one, one thing to see, but there were different perspectives. There are three groups of people that we see in this passage, in three different spheres of people. And I want to go through these. I'm actually calling it the three circles of sight that we see here and di how different people saw this situation. And I'm going to give you all three of them, and then I'm going to go back and explain them. The first one is the outer circle. These were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, the, the people in the outer circle, they see what they want to see. Okay? The middle circle is the multitudes. This was the big crowd of people that were yelling, praise God, Hosanna, the glory to God in the highest. These people see what most people see. Okay? And then finally, we have the inner circle, which this is the disciples. These were the ones close to Jesus. These people see something that no one else sees. Okay? Now, let me go back and explain them. The first one, the outer circle, these are the Pharisees. These are the people that see what they want to see. These are people that are far from God. Okay, the Pharisees were far from God. They were religious. They had convictions. So people in the outer circle will have conviction. They just, their conviction has nothing to do with God, the true God. It has to do with other things. So these might be people in your life, and it may be even you, that you just don't really, you don't want to see what all these other Christians see about God or about the Bible. You're like, I just don't think I believe that Bible. I mean, it was written so long ago, and who knows if it can be verified. And, you know, Christians, you guys go to church, you're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And you got these people that just feel that way, like you guys are just, you know, you're all pro-life, and you're just, you're just weird, you're anti-women, you're, you're this, you're that, you're whatever you are. They don't want to see what we see because they want to see what they want to see. They want to see like, you know, if I'm just a good person, I'll be fine. You know, if there is a God, he's going to let me into heaven. I've never killed anybody. You know, they, they see what they want to see. They see, um, I, I want to live my life to be, to please myself and to please those that I care about and to be comfortable. In fact, there's, there's three, three things that uh, the outer circle people will set their mind on because they're not going to set it on God or really on the things of God, but there's three main things that they focus on and it's going to be security which is basically a comfort zone, you know, trying to keep yourself safe and secure and, and make sure you're, you're happy and taken care of. The second one is success. They'll set their minds on being successful because if I'm successful, I'll be happy and I'll feel good about myself. And, and if I, especially if I'm more successful than you, I'm going to feel better about myself than you do about yourself. And that's going to make me feel good. So they focus on success. So it's either security, success, or pleasure. And some people, some people that, that see what they want to see, all they see is living for the weekend, living to have a good time. Life is short, play hard. Let's just do what we can to have fun and, and uh, try not to get in anybody's way. Those are, those are people in the outer circle. That's what the Pharisees saw when Jesus came in to the city. They didn't see him as anything other than an agitator or a rebel or somebody that was going to cause a bunch of trouble because they didn't want to see it. They wanted to see what they wanted to see. 
They wanted to see everything about their religion and about the law and, and what they did. And they thought what they did was right and everybody else was wrong and uneducated and not smart. So that's what the outer circle sees. The middle circle, which is the multitudes, that's the big crowd of people. They see what most people see. Now, some of you may fall into this category in, in some points in your life, in some areas of your life, where you just kind of don't want to ruffle any feathers. You just kind of want to go with the flow. You don't want to go against the grain. You don't want to cause any stir. You just want to blend in. You know, that's how the multitude was in this setting with Jesus coming into the city. You know, they were, they were kind of, a lot of them would have been probably looking around going, well, everybody seems to be excited about this guy coming in. So, yay, Hosanna, glory to who? What's his name? Yeah, we're excited. Praise God, he's coming into town, you know. And they're all excited because they're going with the crowd. And then a week later, that same crowd that's cheering him on is sitting there going, uh, what, what, uh, cru- oh, crucify him, crucify him. What, what's his name? I don't remember his name. Well, crucify him. They're just going with the crowd because God forbid they'd stand up for anything. They, they don't really have much conviction about anything. They're just going to try to blend in and not be part of the problem. Okay. They, they kind of, kind of believe a little bit, but not really willing to make any sacrifices or do anything to really stand out. And maybe, maybe that is you. Maybe even in your faith, you're kind of, you're kind of there. You're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I come to church, but Ooh, you know, when I get into, I want to have opportunities or I get into conversations with people and, you know, they want to rip on Christians, you know, I'm, I kind of join in a little bit or I'll laugh at their jokes or when they make perverted jokes, I'll laugh because, you know, I don't want to stand up for anything. I don't want to look like a religious prude. And, and you just kind of, you kind of fall into that category where your, your faith's just kind of this private thing and you hope not to really upset anybody with it. Okay. Now, again, I'm not here to condemn anybody. We've all been in that circle at one point or another, whether you're there now or not. I, even the apostle Peter fell into that circle. You know, he was one of the greatest apostles that's ever lived. And he, he, was, he was one of Jesus' best friends, saw everything Jesus did, loved Jesus. But when Jesus got arrested, the Bible says that Peter followed from a distance as they were taking him off. He didn't want to be noticed. He kind of hid in the background as they were taking him. And he got to this place where the people were warming themselves by a fire. And he kind of stood there looking around, you know, trying to see what's going on. And a girl standing there saw him and said, hey, weren't you the one with Jesus? He says, no, no, that wasn't me. Oh, are you kidding me? No way. And the Bible says he literally started calling curses down on himself to convince this person that he did not know Jesus. And he completely failed. He completely caved in and dropped the ball. Now, as we know, Peter was restored. God completely restored him. He ended up being one of the, one of the forerunners of the early church, ended up dying for his faith, was crucified upside down. When they went to crucify him, he said, please crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to die the same way my Lord did. So he was redeemed and restored. And he, he ended up getting out of that middle circle and went back into the inner circle. But we've all been there where we've been in that, that middle circle. Where we've been kind of part of the multitude and just not really wanting to, to, to do anything to upset anybody. But that's not what God called us to, is it? God's called us to stand up for for what we know, what we believe, to stand on our convictions, to be firm in, in what we know and what we believe. Now, this doesn't mean getting in arguments with atheists or people that don't know about God and, and getting into these big arguments or blasting people on social media. That's not what this is about, but it's about, it's about having that conviction to know that I want people to know that I love Jesus. I want people to know that he saved my soul. After what he did for me, after what we're celebrating here on Easter and what he actually did for me, how can I not let that be part of who I am? It's everything that I am. And it's got to come out of who we are. And so we may have those moments where we fall and we, we, we fail and we blend in with the crowd. But the goal, church, is not to stay there. The goal is to get back in that inner circle to where people know, yep, that, mm-hmm, that guy there, you want to know about God, that's the guy to go to right there. 
because that guy loves Jesus and his actions follow what he says. He practices what he preaches and he loves people well. He loves people uh, like no one else loves people. You know, we're, as Christians, we're called to love like no one else loves to where we don't expect anything in return. We don't love people just so they'll love us back. We love them because Jesus loves us and because we may be the only vision of Jesus that people ever, some people ever get. And so they have to see Jesus in us to be able to be brought. The kingdom of God is not furthered by the people in the multitudes. That middle circle does not further the kingdom of God. The inner circle is the one that furthers the kingdom of God. And that's the next one. The inner circle. Now, these are the disciples. These are people that live with conviction. They're the ones that see what no one else can see. Now, let me clarify here. When I'm saying inner circle, I know sometimes that has a connotation of being like this little elite club. That's not what this is. Okay, we're all invited to the inner circle. Jesus says, all who will come can experience me. So we're, we're not talking about some elite club. We're talking about that inner circle is that one that's it's just close to Jesus. We're all called to be close to Jesus. He's, he's beckoning us all to come and be close to him. But this is, these are the people that see what no one else can see. And this is what the disciples were, the ones closest to Jesus, the 12. They saw what no one else see, saw. You know, the, everybody saw the multitudes, the Pharisees, they saw Jesus doing the miracles. They saw him doing the things that he did, raising people from the dead, healing the sick. And they, what they saw was, this is a pretty, you know, this guy's a prophet or this guy's a teacher. The Pharisees saw him as a, just an agitator. But the disciples saw, they didn't see some guy that was just a good guy that was able to, to have some kind of weird powers. What they saw was the Messiah. They saw the son of God. They saw that this guy is not just some guy that we think is really neat and is a good guy. This guy is the, the Messiah that's talked about way, way back in the day that he was going to come and redeem his people. The, the disciples saw what no one else saw about Jesus. And that's what God has called us to see as well. The, why else would these disciples in that verse, Jesus tells two of them to go and get this donkey. Why else would, if they just thought he was a good man, he was a teacher, and a nice guy and a prophetic guy and a rabbi, if he said, hey, I want you to go get a donkey over there, and if the owner asks why you're taking it, just say, it's fine, just say the Lord needs it. Okay, if this guy's not Jesus, I'm not doing it. I don't know about you guys. I'm not going up to somebody's Cadillac and just jumping in and getting ready to go. And then that guy say, what do you do with my car? It's all right, the Lord needs it. You know, you don't do that unless you know you heard from God, right? That's why the disciples did it, because they saw something that no one else saw. That's why they were willing to go and do what he said. You know, that, that chapter in Hebrews that I started off with at the beginning of this message, in Hebrews 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. And it's called the Hall of Faith because it, it goes through and lists many different people from the Bible that, that walked in faith and, and lived by their conviction, okay? And it's really interesting because in verse 13, it, it kind of gives a little clarity as to what those people uh, that, that are mentioned in this chapter actually saw what they went through. In verse 13 of chapter 11, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Notice what it says there. They didn't receive it so that their faith wasn't based on, well, you know, God really blessed me and gave me all this stuff. So now I'm, I'm really going to be able to have a lot of faith. He's saying here the exact opposite. They didn't receive what they even believed for, a lot of them. But yet they saw, is what Hebrews eleven thirteen says, they saw what no one else could see. And that's why they had faith. That's why Noah built an ark based on the word of God when it had never rained on the earth before. 
That's why Abraham took his only son that God promised was going to be his descendant that was going to make his, his ultimately make his descendants as numerous as the stars. That's why Abraham took that son and was going to sacrifice him on the altar because he saw what no one else saw. He saw that God is that great. He, he stood on the promises of God. And that's what, that's what walking and living with conviction is. It's about, it's about standing on the promises of God more than on what our culture says, more than what our emotions say or our feelings, and more, what our, more than what our circumstances say. It's based on the promises of God that are found in his word. It really is that simple. Yeah, we can give God praise for that. How about that? We base it on his promises. And this is the thing, church. I want to mention one other person that I think is... Um, worthy of being mentioned in this because of the conviction that he had. And that's John the Baptist. Okay, a lot of you know the story of John the Baptist. He prepared the way for Jesus. And he, he went around preaching repentance and baptizing people all over the place. And, you know, he actually went to prison because of his convictions. He actually called out King Herod because Herod had taken his own brother's wife to be his wife. And John called him out on it and said, it's not right that you did that. And Herod made him mad, so he put him in jail. So John was literally in prison because of his convictions. Which leads me to believe that living by conviction doesn't mean that everything's just gonna go the way you think it should go. Sometimes living by conviction can get you in more trouble, earthly trouble, than being a part of that middle circle, part of the multitudes and just blending in. If we just blend in, we can kind of avoid a lot of that trouble, can't we? But living by conviction will actually sometimes invite trouble into your life. But you know what, it's worth it. And you know, John later, it says that he actually sent his disciples to go ask Jesus if he was the, if he was the one that we, they were expecting or if they should wait for somebody else. Now that's, that's really encouraging to me because John is the one that baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove, the Bible says, and then heard a voice in heaven saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Now, for John to later be saying, hey, is this the one or do we need to wait? That tells me, I'm okay when I struggle with doubt sometimes. The God's not pointing his finger at me and saying, I already told you, Reagan. You should believe it and not, not waver. But when John literally saw what he saw and he still sent somebody to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one? That tells me that sometimes living by conviction, you have to, you have to really stand on what you believe and not let your feelings get in the way. I think John was maybe getting in his feelings a little bit there because he was suffering in prison. I even personally feel like he might even send his disciples to Jesus, maybe as a way of saying like, hey, remind Jesus that I'm still in jail, see if he can pray and make these bars fall over and I can walk out, you know? Might even just trying to say, you know, hey, here I am, I'm still here, remember me, you know? It didn't work out well for John, he got his head chopped off. So sometimes living by conviction will, will bring trouble into your life. But, but this is the thing, church, and this is what I wanna finish with. Living by conviction is about living by God's plan and not yours. Okay? The Bible says that man makes plans, but God ordains our way. So if you're going to live by conviction, it's about living by his plan and not yours. You know, we get into this whole thing of God's will. People want to know what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? And I don't, there's nothing wrong with wanting to know God's plan for your life. But, but I, I'll be honest with you guys. I spend very, very little time thinking about what God's plan for my life is. Because I think that God has a, a big plan and he wants us to get in it. And if, if we're getting into what God's doing, then we can know that it's going to be okay. Okay? 
Now, that doesn't mean like, you know, if you got this job opportunity in Minnesota, you shouldn't pray about it and ask God if it's his, if it's his plan for you. Those, that's a great thing. But to be consumed with, whoa, it's God's plan. I, to, you know, some people just can't move. They can't make a decision because they just got to know what God, what's God's plan. I just got to know what God wants because I just figure out. But, but you know what? The, the basis of that is really narcissism because it's saying, well, if I figure out his perfect plan, if I figure out what he wants, oh, then life's going to be good. Yeah. Ask John the Baptist how that went for him. Okay. It's about getting into what God's doing. Like say, okay, God's doing this. I want to get, I want to be part of that. I want to be where he is and not worried so much about his will for your life as much as you are like, God, I just want my life to glorify you. I want my life to honor you. I, wherever you send me, wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, whatever job I have, all I know is that I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work as unto you and I'm going to live every day to glorify you, to bring glory to your name and not mine. And as long as we're doing that, God is pleased. Now, he will direct us sometimes, but man, we can trust God that if we make a bad decision, that he can steer us back and get us where he needs us to go, especially if our heart is on him, right? So living with conviction is about living for his plan and not your own. And that's the difference. And so God calls us and wants us to be part of his inner circle. When we, when we see Jesus coming into the city, are we going to be the ones that are going to be bold enough to go get that colt he tells us to go get? Or are we going to be the ones to blend in with the crowd? Or are you going to be the one that's far from God and doesn't, don't even see him as God? I would challenge you today to take that to the Lord and ask God, where am I? And where are the areas? You know, there might be areas of your life where, yeah, you feel like I'm, I love Jesus. I'm willing to I've take some, some bold steps. I've been willing to do some, some things for God. I've laid down a lot of things for him. But there's areas of your life where you're still kind of in that middle circle. And God may want to put his finger on it and say, you know what? I want to take you to another level in that place in your life. Whether it's about your finances or your relationships or your job or whatever it might be. Or he says, you know what? I want you to live with more conviction than what you are. Not to condemn, but because he just wants you to always be coming closer. He wants us all to be part of that inner circle. There's room in that inner circle for all of us. Amen? Amen. All of us. That inner circle is actually huge. It's gigantic. We can all fit, but we have to set our minds and our hearts on the things above and not on this earth. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I got a couple more minutes and I want to use these last few minutes just to challenge you this morning. Because when we're talking about conviction, and please stay with me because this is important. I'm going to kind of piggyback on what Kel and Jessica said about inviting people to church. Now listen, I will never apologize for challenging you guys to invite people to church because I don't care about filling these seats just so we can have a full church. We care about filling these seats because we believe that there are people out there that you have a relationship with that are far from God that are in that outer circle. That if they can come in here and they can experience the love of God, that it can change their life. It happened for us. If you're here today and you love Jesus, somebody, somebody shared that with you. And, and church, the, the local church is such a wonderful blessing that God has given us to be able to, to invite people to come. You know, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges in Alabama, he did some research and he said the statistics say that people are four times more likely to come to church on Easter Sunday than any other week of the year. People that won't give you the time of day in September, if you invite them to church, if you invite them for next Sunday, they'll come. Because there's something in us that's like, it's Easter in the United States. It's just, it, you just have to go to church. People, they don't even know why they're coming. They'll come and they'll get touched from God, give their heart to Jesus and change their life forever. But we as a church, we have a conviction. You have a conviction of church or you wouldn't be here today. Unless you're somebody just dragged, literally drug you here. You're here of your own volition. 
and you have a conviction about coming to church. That's why you're here. That's a conviction that can be shared. Not the way Jessica does it with eggs in the yard. That's, that's not the way to do it. But we could share with others this wonderful gift we have. I, I couldn't help but think about the woman at the well that Jesus uh, encountered, I think in John 4, where he, he, he met her at the well. She was there getting water. And he started talking to her about things in her life. Just started telling her things about herself. And it blew her mind. She was far from God too when, he, when she met him. And he made such an impact in her life. She encountered Jesus in such a powerful way. The Bible says that she immediately went back into her village and was telling everybody, oh my gosh, you guys gotta come. You gotta come out to the well here. There's this guy out there who told me everything about my life. Could this guy be the Messiah? He was so excited, or she was so excited. She's telling everybody. She's like, you gotta come, you gotta come. She didn't care if these people were higher in a higher in a socioeconomical way than her, or if they were men, women, children, it didn't matter. She was going to tell everybody, listen, I had this amazing encounter with this guy. You've got to come see. And I think that's us, church. That's us. We should be telling people, you guys, I had this amazing encounter with God. You got to come to my church. You got to come. Just come. We're going to make our Easter service. It's going to be fun. It's not going to, it's not going to look like other services look. We're going to have more music. We're going to have videos. There's going to be lighting. It's just going to be a lot of fun. It's, we're, we're, we're gearing it so that people that would come in here and never heard the name of Jesus are going to be able to enjoy it and be comfortable. Unless God convicts them of their sin, then they're going to squirm in their seat. But that's a good kind of squirming, right? So would you take the challenge this week and invite somebody to church? That person you think, oh, there's no way that person will ever come to church. That's the one I want you to invite. Because I'm telling you, God is setting it up for people to be ready. And there will be people that come that don't even know why they came. I don't even know why I'm here. Next thing you know, God touches their heart. Their whole life has changed forever. Don't, don't overlook, don't ignore this beautiful opportunity we have. I know our country is going very much, it's going secular. Church attendance is on the decline all over the nation. But there's something about Easter that even those people that don't want to come to church, they'll come to church. I don't know if it's just to help their conscience or what it is, but I'm telling you, I believe there's going to be an anointing in this place that if people will come in here, they will experience God, they will meet Jesus, they will, they will understand and see how much he really loves them. And their heart will be broken so that Jesus can come in. Now, we as a church are doing it. As Jessica said, we're, we're, we're buying coffee at Dunkin' Donuts this week. We're buying car washes at Sparkle. We're buying pizza at Little Caesars. And we're buying uh, cookout trays at Cookout. And no, I'm not telling you what day we're doing it because it's not for you. <laughs> Don't go to those places this week, please. <laughs> but when we're doing it, we're, they're giving them a card and saying, hey, New Hope just wants to pay your lunch today. God bless you. Hope you come to see our Easter service. We're going to do hundreds of them this week. So we're doing our part. Would you guys do yours? Because we can only do so much as a church staff. We need your help. So please take this challenge and do it. I challenge you, do it today while it's still fresh in your mind. I mean, texting is the greatest thing ever invented because you can just hide behind that phone and shoot a little text. You don't even have to look them in the eye. <laughs> now, if you're bold enough to call them or look them in the eye, that's wonderful too. But man, do something because you can change somebody's life forever. Amen? Okay, well, I'm gonna pray for us. And then Kel and Jess are gonna come back up, share one or two more things before we go. But if you guys would pray with me, Lord. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence in this place for your word, for your love, for your wonderful, wonderful mercy and grace. God, we are so blessed, so, so blessed to know you. God, I thank you today that you called us to live by conviction. You've called us to live believing in you and standing up 
for what we know to be the truth in our own life. And God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to hold firmly to the belief that we have in you. When the things of the world, the things of our emotions try to pull it away, that we would not let go, but we would hold firmly to it. And God, I pray for all of us in this room that may be struggling with that, saying, yeah, I, I, I haven't really lived with really strong convictions about my faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Lord, we know that you give us the power to make that choice. And I believe that you will honor it when we make that choice and you will come up with us. You will come behind us and beside us and help us to live the convictions that you want us to have in our life, God. I pray, Lord, that there's no condemnation today. God, if we, where we have failed, where we have come up short, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you do not come to condemn, but you come to give life and to give it more abundantly to each and every one of us. And we receive that life today. And Lord, would you also help us this week to invite people to church. Lord, we don't care one bit about church attendance for number's sake. We care about people and we believe that every person has a soul and that soul is eventually going to come face to face with you. God, we want them to come face to face with you after having met you and given their life to you first. So Lord, would you put it on our hearts to invite people and would you pack this place to the rafters next Sunday? And Lord, I pray that people would get saved. We pray for salvations, Lord, so many that we don't even know what to do with all of them. And God, we pray you just pour out your spirit, your love and your blessing on this place next week, God. And we'll give you all the glory for Jesus. You're the only one that deserves any glory in any of our lives. We do it all for you. You alone are worthy and we love you, Lord. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen.